Surely by now you know kind of the basic context of Ephesians. I'll summarize in one long sentence. In chapters 4 to 6, Paul exhorts Christians solely because of the grace by which they have been redeemed. That is all described in chapters 1 to 3. So after describing that saving grace in 1 to 3, in chapters 4 to 6, he exhorts Christians to walk or live differently. That is, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Sometimes uh, in pastor circles, they'll talk about the call to ministry. Uh, Being called into pastoral ministry is a call. But every Christian is called into ministry. It may not just be as a pastor. But everybody, if you're a Christian, you're called into ministry. You are called into the work of Christ. And so we are to walk worthy of the calling to salvation and to service to which you have been called. And that way that you walk which is different is then particularly described, where, at least where we're looking, in verses 25 to 32... We've already seen in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So the idea of not speaking what is false, but speaking what is true. I would think it also includes your life. Your lifestyle reflects what is true, not what is false. We've also seen in verses 26 and 7, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We've actually spent, believe it or not, two weeks, the better part of two weeks on those two verses. And the emphasis isn't on righteous anger, though I think righteous anger is a biblical concept. But the real emphasis in this prescription is all the warnings and cautions associated with anger. Because anger is such a corrosive emotion or such a corrosive uh, reaction and attitude, and it can eat away at you. And so the real emphasis of this prescription is on how not to let it destroy you, even though there are times for appropriate anger. Two of the statements I ended with last week, number one, my anger can cause me to minimize the gospel and or my reliance upon God's providence. The idea there being that if I'm so focused on what I'm angry about, which is unjust, and it's maybe people are being mistreated or it's an abusive situation, my anger can be so directed against that thing that is repulsive that I lose sight of what is positive in the gospel. God hasn't called the church to witness to the darkness. God has called the church to witness to the truth and the light. And so that's the perspective we are to maintain. We lay our heads on our pillows at night because we believe in a gospel that brings peace between sinners and the enemies of God and an altogether and God being altogether righteous. A second statement, my anger over matters outside of my control may result in my overlooking or dismissing matters closer to home where I ought to take action. It's easier to curse the darkness out there or in Chicago or in Washington, D.C. or some place that I'm not and I miss what I could do in my own neighborhood or in my own workplace or in my own family. If I'm a Christian, I'm called to witness to the gospel and to the hope that is in Christ wherever I find myself. 
and my anger can cause me to lose sight of what I've been called to. Believe it or not, I still have a few follow-up leftover comments regarding anger, even though we've spent two weeks on it. I want to briefly mention some very notable examples of anger, both righteous anger and unrighteous anger in Scripture, just to give you some models or some things to think about. Moses would be one. He's both a good example of righteous anger and unrighteous anger. The righteous anger came when he was up on the mountain receiving the tablets of stone from the Lord. And the Lord is angry because the people have idolatrized themselves. They're committing idolatry with a golden calf. And so Moses goes down and Joshua is his assistant. And he's going with him. And Joshua says, I think I hear the sound of war. And Moses is like, that's not war. That's neither the sign of rejoicing or the the noise of rejoicing or the noise of despair. The people have have polluted themselves. They're worshiping what is not God. And Moses goes down and he breaks the tablets of stone. And he grinds up that golden calf and he puts it in water and makes the people drink it. That's a righteous anger. He's not condemned for that anger. He's reflecting the holiness of God. He's a jealous God. And we are to have no other gods besides him. Not just before him, which the way I grew up was... You know, as long as God is on top, you can have other, you know, you can have all these other interests to themselves. It's not just no other uh, God before me, no other God besides me. He is to be the Lord of my recreation, the Lord of my family, the Lord of my relationships, the Lord of everything I do. It's not a pyramid scheme where God is on top. It's he's the hub and everything, every other interest in life is a spoke and God should be at the center of it. And Moses, in his anger, broke the tablets of stone. That was righteous. But there was another time in Moses' life where he was told to speak to the rock and it would bring forth water for the people who were thirsty. And Moses, in his anger, struck the rock. And because of his anger, which actually did not reflect the holiness of God on that occasion, because of his anger, he was not allowed to lead or go into the promised land. He saw it from afar. Another example would be Phineas in Numbers chapter 25. Phineas was a priest and he was zealous for the Lord. And in his anger, he struck down uh, two of the individuals that were involved in a sexual immorality, idolatrous situation. And the Lord was pleased with that. The plague of the Lord was stopped. And the Lord entered into a covenant with Phineas that you will always be a priest in my family. Your family will maintain the priesthood. Because of his anger, and it was righteous, and it was good. But then a last example that I'll give you of an unrighteous anger would be the famous story of Jonah. Four little chapters, a minor prophet. And you know Jonah was given a task, and he ran the other direction. And the Lord changed his mind. And he wound up going to Nineveh, and he wound up preaching the message the Lord had given him. And lo and behold... One of the most pagan cities imaginable, where we have pagan cities in our country too. And we usually pray that God's judgment would come, probably like Jonah. And the city repented in dust and ashes. From the top down, king, everybody repented in dust and ashes. And you know what? It says in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah was angry. He's angry that the people repented. They didn't get their just desserts. God had given him a message of judgment and hellfire and brimstone, and the people repented. And and Jonah is angry. 
He's like, I knew you were going to do this, God. You're a God full of grace and you're slow to anger. You're so merciful. You're so compassionate. And he was angry that they didn't get their comeuppance. And then the Lord gives him a little object lesson on a hot day where a vine springs up very quickly and provides shade, and he is greatly relieved in the shade. And then the Lord strikes the vine and it dies, and he's angry at the vine. Angry enough to die. And the Lord's like, do you have, an a- do you have a good reason to be angry? Like, you didn't cause the vine to grow. That was my doing. He's like, yeah, I have a right to be angry. I'm so angry I could, I could die. That's how angry Jonah is. And the Lord t- tells, t- teaches an object lesson. That your anger against that vine and your anger against those Ninevites is misdirected and it doesn't reflect my character. So those are some really good examples of anger, both good and bad. But before we leave anger, one more last thing, because anger is such an important topic in Scripture, not just this little tidbit in Ephesians, two little verses. It's a topic in Scripture by way of example and principle all throughout, and I want to leave you with I think a very important or a very workable, doable task or goal, how to restrain your anger. And it's knowing what the Bible says about anger. Things like uh, the Bible says to be slow to anger and a soft answer turns away wrath. So I'm going to do fairly rapid fire a few verses on this. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 16 says, A fool's displeasure is known at once. But whoever ignores an insult is sensible. How well do you ignore insults? A fool's displeasure is known at once. But we're called to ignore it. There was one situation some years, a good number of years ago, uh, I was counseling an individual, not from our church, but it was a situation where somebody was coming to me regarding their anger. And one of the tasks I gave them to do was I wanted them to go through the book of Proverbs and write down every proverb they could, what it said about anger. And then when they came back the next time, I had them read me those Proverbs. Because it's kind of humbling. If you're a person that struggles with anger and you read all those Proverbs, and you, and you think, if that's the path I'm on, I'm on a fool's path. And there's going to be fool's consequences. One of the things that uh, I do is, I mean, I, I'm on different groups. I haven't completely abandoned Facebook I like it really for the groups as much as anything. We have a church group that's a really good way to communicate information. Uh, in another social media platform called MeWe, which is really tiny, and I'm in a couple pretty small theology, Bible kind of groups on MeWe, uh, which are interesting. And I'm also in some, a really big pastor's group on Facebook. I'm saying all this and it's sounding confusing. But, but I've got all these different relationships, and people can be... On social media, they can be nasty, right? Like, they can really be, say some bad things or hurtful things. And part of what I try to put into practice is when people do that and I think they're, like, pushing my button, I try to intentionally not react in kind because I'm, I'm mindful of these types of things. So I told you last week, you know, I posted something about... Uh, you know, all, all the weather outside and, you know, climate change, global warning, all the war- warming and all this stuff. And there's this blackboard filled with all these formulas and what's happening. And a little kid writes up there, it's called weather. And I, I find that kind of amusing. And I did get one comment. 
where somebody said, if you are still in denial over climate change, you are either ignorant or lying. There is no debate. And I'm like, I could say something to that. But I didn't. I just hid the comment because it's, it's just not worth it. Um, I had, we had a tree on our prop, in our front yard, which we have a you know, tiny little yard in front, a little bit bigger in the back, but it's still tiny. And it's a silver maple, and silver maples really are not great trees. They're like the trees lining our drive because as they get older, they just start dropping stuff. They're nasty, kind of na- nasty trees, but they're still trees. I, there's, any tree is almost better than no tree, unless you have a cottonwood. I would... <laughs> I would cut that puppy down so fast. <laughs> I don't know that there's anything good. I think that was part of the curse. But at any rate, <laughs> I do have a silver maple. We took down one uh, for reasons a couple of years ago. The one we have left, it's sad shape. It's dead. It lost some branches in some of the high winds we had this spring. It's just not a good tree. And it's on its way out. But it's still a tree. And so I contacted like 10 tree services by messaging them four of which responded to give me a bid on the tree. Some of them are like, look, no matter what you do to that tree, it's still going to look like crap, is basically what he told me. And, and another guy said, well, I would never recommend a, taking down a tree. Like, my philosophy is I just don't recommend taking down a tree. Uh, you don't have much there, but I would never recommend cutting it down. And Cindy's like, that's who we want. We want somebody that really cares about tree, because even having a little bit of tree up there is better than nothing, and we'll probably spend however much money in a couple more years to take the rest of it, but for now, we're good. So we did that. And then a fifth tree guy that I'd contacted messaged me like a week late, and he's like, uh, he messaged me something like, I have it in my notes, actually. I I should get it right. He said, uh, who hacked up your tree? (laughs) I could have said something there, too. But I did, and I said, actually, I think it turned out as good as it could have, given its condition, but thanks for noticing. He said, give it a year or two. Tell them to keep up the good work. Um, I've got lots of stories like this. And it is, honestly, it's one little exercise to put into practice, not to, because people on social media will, will say things. I don't think that many people would say that many things to your face. Some would but not as many people as what they do on social media. They just blurt it out and learn to just not be quick to anger, learn to be slow to anger. You know, on a, in the theological group, one of the Bible groups I'm in on MeWe, uh, I like to identify myself as Reformed. You know, I'll call myself a Reformed Baptist. I love the five, Reforma- or the five solas of the Reformation. You know, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone to the glory of God alone. But I don't subscribe, and this won't mean something to everybody here, but I don't subscribe to covenant theology uh, as, as Presbyterians are closely identified with. I don't subscribe to that. And so uh, some, of the, some people in the group will, well, you're not Reformed. You don't believe in covenant theology. I'm like, well, actually, I think I am Reformed. Because when I say I'm Reformed, I'm agreeing with what the Reformers taught in the Protestant Reformation regarding those five solas and how God saves. And one guy laughed at me. He put on a little laugh emoji like, ha! Like, you couldn't be more wrong. And I just kindly explained, and he wound up thanking me. He's like, well, I appreciate, you know. But that's not how I want to respond. I want to respond like, I, 
I'll go toe-to-toe with you. I can, you know, I can dish it out as well as I can listen to it. But one of the things I try to put into practice, I take those opportunities to be slow to anger, and I find it helpful. Because most of you treat me a whole lot better than that. Actually, everybody here treats me better than that. Other Proverbs. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If I can respond softly to somebody that laughs at what I post on, on, in the MeWe group, uh, it winds up turning away their wrath. They wind up softening when it would be so easy to escalate the situation. Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. 1911, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is, it is his glory to overlook an offense. 1919, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. That's good advice. You get somebody out of trouble that has a hot temper, you'll do it again. Which is also what the Bible teaches about loaning out money. You know, if you're quick to loan out money, you'll do it again. And you'll pay for it. It just doesn't, most of life doesn't work like that. Last one is Ecclesiastes. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Any final comments or questions on anger? Yes. I'm going to overlook that, Hannah, which you just said. Every time I go out, so uh, there's been examples. I keep pointing out to my kids the foolishness of, of people's ankle. They look, you look foolish when that's you. Yeah. Yeah, Cindy gives me stories of uh, what happens in Kroger. And I've been in Kroger back when COVID was a thing and they didn't have enough employees. And I don't, I don't really go in Kroger that often, but the couple times I did back then... And the line was crazy long because they don't have employees to check you out. And, and people in line start getting really surly. And eventually some people are like, they just, whatever they've collected, they just leave it there and they're out of the store. Like they're done. It's not their problem. They're angry. And it's like, well, I mean, it is what it is. But you're right. I mean, there are real life examples too. <laughs> people on social media are real people. Oh, I just blew my soft answer, turns away. <laughs> Somebody else on this? John, hang on just a second. I'm a, are you guys warm? Because I think it's warm. I'll turn up the fans. Yeah. All this. Yeah. I, believe me, it's really warm up here. Uh, who had their hand up? Was it Jonathan? And there's an element of truth in that. If you don't have anger at the proper time, you don't have compassion. That's the whole point of Gentle and Lowly, the book on the back table. You know, that compassion and anger rise and fall together. If you have compassion, it will arouse your anger. If you lack compassion, you don't get angry about anything. But it has got to be kept in check, and it's not easy to do. It's harder to do than what most of us probably are willing to admit. Uh, to keep it in its banks 
and to be angry without sinning and not letting the sun go down on her anger and not giving the devil an opportunity. Somebody else? Lori? I mean, was, was my mom the only one that said it takes two to argue? Like, you know, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to involve yourself in that. So arguments, yeah, are, are almost, I mean, is there a time when an argument isn't a demonstration of anger that is associated with sin? Did Jesus argue? Uh, Jesus displayed righteous anger. I'm not sure that the Bible says he argued. Somebody else? Rick? Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward. We're, we're going really slow through this part of Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm really looking forward to pressing in further, even though we're not going to do it today. But uh, one verse I think that applies to a lot of, our, of my responses, I'm going to say suggest your responses as well when we're talking about anger and the words we say, because Ephesians chapter 4, if I were to look ahead to read it, It says in verse uh, 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I mean, the Bible has so much to say especially about the way Christians treat one another. Uh, And one of the verses that comes to mind, in my mind, over and over again, is when Jesus says, as you mete out judgment, that's the same kind of judgment which will be dispensed to you. So, to to give you a spoiler alert, because I'm really dead set on finishing early, but to give you a spoiler alert, where we'll be probably next week, Uh, when Tim Keller died in my pastor's group of like 1,200 pastors, and these aren't like 1,200 pastors like all the rainbows of the color or colors of the rainbow. It's not, these are like all like conservative kind of good pastors. One of them said, I hope he repented. That makes me angry. I wrote, wow. And I don't know when he took it down, but he took it down. He either took it down or the administrator took it off. I'm not sure what happened, which was good. That makes me angry. It grieves the Spirit of God. There's a difference. It grieves the Spirit of God when Christians talk about other Christians like that. Was Tim Keller perfect? Did he get it all right? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Do I get it all right? No, I don't. But I'm certainly expecting grace and mercy from the throne of Christ. And if I expect that, I should also show grace and mercy to the people in my life. It doesn't mean you be, you're tolerant of people that are biblical false teachers. Okay, there are those. And Paul calls those people who they are. But it doesn't mean you have to call out every sin and discrepancy in every other Christian's life. 
Jesus taught a principle of before you pick out the log in somebody else's eye, just make sure your theology is as sharp as you think theirs ought to be. Because you know what? We all need a little work. And I, I found that very uncharitable. I think the Spirit of God was grieved. That's my take. Somebody else? Alex? Well, now, see, that doesn't sound good. We can be. There are always things in, in a sin and fallen and broken world. There will always be things to be angry at. There will always be things to be angry at. And I think we have to be wrapped up in the bigger narrative of, of God's character and providence that he's still in control. And like we sang last week, this is my father's world. And though the wrong seems off so strong, he is the ruler yet. Somebody else? Theron. Yeah. Sometimes it looks different to my wife. The first day. Uh, I mean, I sent out a message in my own personal family group. Uh, and she's like, yeah, that's good. That sounds okay. So... They went out. So. But yeah, I mean, I, I read a similar story really just recently, and I can't remember what the circumstance was, but it was a well-known pastor, and somebody wrote out a really... He encouraged this associate to write out his letter, and uh, then he said, now what do I do? And he's like, now destroy it. Like, you got it out, now destroy it. And he's like, well, I thought I wrote it to give... to." Let the person read it. He's like, no, it'll destroy you. You know, now you destroy the letter. You got it out, now be done with it. I think there are more instances like that than there are instances where we're called to spout our anger and blow off the steam. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. God, our Father, I thank you for Scripture's plain teaching regarding anger. Uh, it does not mince words about how closely it's associated with being a fool. And so there are things to be angry at. There's even times I think it's appropriate to have a godly anger because we do have compassion. But God, I pray that our...